0: Thank you. the Urban Perspective. Well guys, um, sorry I was not able, I wanted to stream this, but uh, was having some issues there, but definitely wanted to kind of wrestle with some thoughts in light of the most recent situations that puts race right in the front uh, of our faces again. Uh, The situation with the young woman in the park and the black man who filmed her, and then obviously George Floyd, uh, who, was uh, murdered uh, on on camera with an officer putting his knee on his neck for several minutes to which he screamed several times that he couldn't breathe he couldn't breathe uh, but there uh, there was no let up unfortunately there was no let up on what happened and george floyd is no longer with us and uh, i wanted to wrestle with some of the thoughts and kind of process this uh, in a raw fashion with uh, some of the people i trust and so I thought of none other than my brother, pastor, uh, author, theologian, uh, Brian Luritz, uh, to kind of wrestle with this with me and uh, share, share with you all just some of the things that we have been thinking. And uh, Brian, that the theme I, I keep, that keeps ringing in my head uh, is this idea uh, that Black men are unarmed and dangerous. That uh, even when we, uh, we, we don't have anything, um, just the very our very presence is somehow threatening and uh, we see this again with what happened and uh, the last two uh, incidents and so uh, can you just share with me what were your uh, just some of the initial thoughts that you've been kind of wrestling with as uh, we see this again another another brother who is no longer with us uh, at the hands of law enforcement.
1: Yeah Jerome this is uh, you know this has been a um... It's been a tough week, brother, um, in in more ways than one. You know, um, I'm sure we'll talk about the Central Park incident maybe a little bit. Um, you know, here you have an African American man uh, bird watching, and um, you know, yeah. uh, all of a sudden, you know, he's getting the cops called on him, and it's a it's a it's a racist outburst. Uh, and then you have another brother who, you know. Um, did something he shouldn't have done. You know, um, forging a check or some kind of act of forgery is, is what they're accusing him of. Um, but in no way, shape or form, does that even remotely justify what happened to him. And then I watched the video and um, I gotta be honest with you, Jerome, and I know it's gonna sound cr- crazy, That was, if not as disturbing as the Ahmad Arbery video, maybe even a little bit more. And here's why, for me, it's it's the image of a white person's knee on a black man's neck who's pleading, right? So literally what you have is a posture of power versus powerless. Then you have bystanders pleading with this cop to do something, and then he 's got almost kind of this smug look on his face, yeah. uh, if not an all out you know grin on his face with his hands in his pockets um, rather that that rocked my world like that the 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 reaction I had to that was was deep it's it's almost like jerome um I don't excuse, you You know, in past incidents, you know, where, where a cop who happens to be white kills an African-American man and, you know, it goes to court and, and the argument is, well, I didn't know what was in their hand or they moved suddenly or whatever. Okay, I, I have a problem with that, but this is in a completely different category. The brother was handcuffed. Mm-hmm. He posed no threat to you and you, Call it what it is, you murdered him. Brother, I was, I know that's more than what you asked for. I was deeply disturbed.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I've, I felt um, similar sentiments. I couldn't, I couldn't watch the whole thing. I, I just couldn't, I, I couldn't finish it. Um, Cause I was, it was bringing me to tears. I felt rage, I felt frustration. I felt just a myriad of emotions, you know, as I watched this and, you know, he's pleading, people around him are pleading, but not one of the other officers said anything. Um, And, and it was just like, this is acceptable. It was almost as if this is what you deserve. This is what you're worth. And right. while they were fired, they get to look for another job in the meantime. Right right and and george mr floyd is is no longer with us and right. you know it, it was just uh, you know here we go again and i'm tired of the evangelical response that these are isolated incidents we have too many names sandra bland trayvon martin tamir rice ahmaud arbery um now here, here we are with with George Floyd, Eric Garner. Um, and the, the list continues. And these are the ones that were captured on film. Right. I mean, remember the one in South Carolina where he shot the man in the back seven times. Yep. And then threw the gun, through a gun by his body, his dead body. And if that was not captured on film. And so I, I just I'm I'm really hoping that evangelicals. That want to say these are isolated incidents, just get rid of those excuses and we'll enter into a place of, of solidarity. And so, man, Brian, I'm, I'm tired, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I, sh- tired. I share your fatigue. You know, I was telling a couple of young brothers that, you know, I've been pouring into. I said, you know, my younger days, I would see stuff like this, and the predominant emotion I battled was rage. And would have to really ask God uh, to not let my anger cross the threshold from righteous indignation over into just outbursts, uh, bitterness, whatever. At this stage of my life, Jerome, it's like the pendulum has swung all the way to the other extreme. The predominant emotion I have to battle now, having seen so much of this and knowing how the movie typically ends.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The emotion I'm battling is a sense of cynicism. You know, of course it's gonna, this happens to us. Of course these cops um, aren't going to have justice um, meted out to them. Of course they're gonna get out. And so that's what I have to, that's what I have to fight. And it's almost like the older I get, the more I've, I've got to fight for hope Mm -hmm. Um, The the more I I have to fight from, you know, Edward Gilbreth talks about those of us in the Ministry of Reconciliation, the area of reconciliation, we're bridges. And the very nature of a bridge is to get stepped on. Brother, we've been stepped on a lot. Uh, We've been stepped on for hundreds of years. And, um, you know, so here's, here's the healthy part that I think I'm coming to is stuff like this would happen, I'd immediately look to white evangelicals. And I don't think, I don't think that's, that's our response. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think, it's, it's almost like we can look at them as our Messiah. Like if y'all don't do something, it won't get done. And I just don't think that's the posture we need to have. I do think there needs to be some prophetic voices that are calling them to engage. But even then, it's best that those prophetic voices share their ethnicity. You know what I'm saying? So I, exactly. I want us yeah. to be careful to go, yeah, that's an issue, but, but I can't let their response or lack thereof keep me and handcuff me from what I know needs to be done.
0: Does that exactly. make sense? No, absolutely, I think I'm done looking I mean, I never, to, to be quite honest, would look for white evangelicals in a sense of being a source of comfort, um, because and that's not even their role. I mean, I mean I, I mean, Christ fills that role, but but even sadly though, I, it's, it's hit or miss even for solidarity. you know here's what I was thinking about, and a comedian said this Michael Shea, um, he, he said, you know, just when everything initially happened with Trayvon Martin. And, you know, he said it jokingly, but I still, I still felt like there was, it was profound. He said, we can't even get matters. And he said, it's just Black lives matter. He said, you're arguing with us about matters. Right. And so the immediate response is all lives, blue lives, or yeah. it, it was like we can't even get matters. Right, right. And so and so I'm not surprised, but, but what's worse is we can't even get matters right. from a good section of white evangelicals. Right. Claim the doctrines of grace and truth and the biblical orthodoxy, but somehow they jump over mourning with those who mourn. That's and right. we're told, black people are told, how to process their pain while That's the right. blood is still on the pavement.
1: That's right. That's right. And, um, you know, th- they don't even create a space uh, within their churches for us to lament. So here you have a whole group of people who's been traumatized. Mm. And it's, it's like a scab that still gets ripped off. So just when you feel like this thing is, is healing, mod Arbery comes, ripped off. Um, yep. Yep. George Floyd comes ripped off. The Central Park thing comes ripped off. Yep. And where do we go to process that? D- you, d- d- do you know what I'm saying? So yep. um, that's why I think is one of the beauties of the black church. And it's, it's going to sound a little bit strange coming from me because I've always championed the multi-ethnic church, but I've never done so um, to the exclusion of the black church because I, I, I think the beauty of the black church is it allows for us to process, it allows for us to lament, and it is constantly giving back to us a sense of dignity, which is why you go to the black church, yeah. you know, it's always brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, yeah. pastor so-and-so. These are, these are terms of dignity. Um, my concern in the white church is, you know, Corey Edwards says something very interesting that a multi-ethnic church um, will only be successful um, per the comfort of the white individuals. And I gotta tell you, in my experience, I hate hate what she's saying, but she is spot on. Um, And so when we talk about Black Lives Matter, that's an uncomfortable sentiment and statement to so many white evangelicals. And what they wanna do is they wanna parse it ideologically, parse it theologically, parse it politically. And I'm going, I'm not even going down those, those roads. To me, that's a statement that's hooked into the Imago day.
0: Absolutely. I'm
1: made in the image of God. And when I say I'm made in the image of God, a healthy biblical anthropology says, that's not just my spirit. See, don't go Gnostic on me. The Gnostics said, the spirit is good, the flesh is evil. Well, Psalm 139 says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, no caveats there. You know what I'm saying? When we get to heaven, our glorified body isn't just gonna be spirit, Jerome, as we all know. It's gonna be flesh and blood, and that flesh and blood is going to have color and ethnic distinctions. So that's Revelation 5, Revelation 7. So a healthy, robust anthropology God would have no problem saying, yes, I created you as a black man. Yes, I created you as a black woman. And because I've intentionally created you as such, you matter, and not just your soul, your spirit, but also your body.
0: Yeah, and this this is what gets me just the glaring hypocrisy. So there's a championing championing of pro-life, but in reality, it's pro-birth because you don't care about me outside of the womb. In many cases, I'm not gonna paint all we white evangelicals with a broad stroke, but, but many, they just show the duplicity to where this is wrong and you need, black people need to talk about this, but it's, it's almost as if we can't talk about both. Like for instance, I agree with the sentiment, black lives matter. It doesn't mean I embrace every aspect of the organization, Yeah, but black people aren't afforded, aren't afforded nuance Right. And, and again, we're told how to lament, what to lament, and we need to get all the facts. Well, right. uh, facts do matter, but does that matter in mourning, in solidarity, in caring? Right. And so, and, and what's, this is what trips me out, just about a, a large section of white evangelicalism. is just the glaring hypocrisy. And even when you show it to them, there's a willful ignorance um, to, to remain in the dark about the plight of african-americans in this country
1: that's right and you know that remaining in the dark jerome as we all know is they've they've crafted a theology that allows them to minimize these issues right mm. so in in their landmark book divided by faith, faith yeah. you know these two white sociologists say listen uh, white evangelicalism has looked at issues of injustice, issues of racism as personal, and Mm -hmm. not structural, right? So when I craft that theology, and then I now draft statements um, that, that talk about how the gospel doesn't, is not dealing with issues of social justice or attacking the social gospel. Now I have an excuse not to engage these issues. The problem is though, is that it lays your hypocrisy bare. If you're gonna do that, then I would respect you if you would be all the way consistent. So to what you're talking about, Jerome, if that's if that's what you're looking at, then do not attack abortion. See? But but the problem is white evangelicals a la carte their social justice mm. issues. Mm. That's the problem. And we're saying we're we're not we're not a buffet item. Right. right? So you can't just pass over us and fight for us before we got here and then ignore us once we're here. So either it's all or it's nothing, but you cannot pick and choose. Right. And evangelicalism historically has been comfortable picking and choosing.
0: Yeah, and and you know, the, the uh, David Swanson's re- re- released book, "Rediscipling the White Church," um, he 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 covers how when Black people share their stories about the plight of being Black in America, oftentimes um, the the white response is tears about not knowing our plight. But then, if it's a predominantly white church, the attention then goes to the person, the white person crying and not the black person who just shared their difficulty. And this is another thing that I see where there's just a, there's an emotional that I feel an emotional disconnect that's intentional to, to the point that you just made that allows them to pick it because they don't feel they, they, they don't feel our pain because and be, because. Right. Just the ignorance about our plight may draw tears, but it's not drawing up action, and it's not drawing up solidarity, and it's not drawing up change, and it's not drawing up acknowledgement that these issues actually exist.
1: Right, so, you know, that's why, and and again, I I, I wanna just be, um, I wanna be sensitive how I say this, um, because people don't, people don't, people don't really deal in nuance well. So I, I, mm-hmm. I, I've been labeled kind of the multi-ethnic church guy, but, but that's not to the exclusion of homogeneous churches at all. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I do think one of the reasons why I, I am a big fan of the multi-ethnic churches is the very thing you're, you're touching on. Done right, um, under an equitable power structure and you're putting people in close community with one another who are different ethnically, and you've got whites and blacks together, I do think that is valuable in bringing some healing. Um, the problem with a lot of multi-ethnic churches is they're multi-ethnic in color, but, mm. but there's not an equitable power structure, yes. and it's multi-ethnic but monocultural. I actually think that is far more damaging And that entrenches uh, far more issues of patriarchy and racism, because pretty much what you're saying is you're welcome physically into this space, but we want to mute your voice. So -hmm. you're not allowed to articulate the pain that that you're dealing with. Um, And that's a huge problem that I think continues to perpetuate some of the very issues that we're talking about here.
0: Yeah, I, it, one of the things I've constantly, um, when, I, when I give a lecture on race, uh, a lot of times often uh, to, to churches, sometimes predominantly white churches, is I will challenge them. I say, you, you want the face of black people and you want their voice as long as it's singing. Right. But you do not want their voice as it relates to the power dynamics of the church at the right. executive level, the decision making level of the church. And so um, th- this, again, it perpetuates this. So essentially, you want, you know, what we would call in our community, you want safe Negroes. That's right. That's, That's what true. you want. You, you want safe right. Negroes. You, you, want, you want a muted Black person that will not ruffle any white feathers. Right. That's right. And you want Black people that are more, com- that are more, uh, more concerned about your comfort. than the the concerns and the issues and the cries and the tears of black people.
1: That's right.
0: So, yeah, man, I think, uh, you know, this, this, this is, it, it drums up all of this. And I just, I just hope that, that they will stop trying to label this an isolated incident. You know, again, I, I've seen other pastors post things and friends of mine in tears and, and, you know, we have to talk to our children about this, this stuff. These so, are conversations. yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, um, especially about your safe Negro comment. Um, people have tried to do that to me over the years. Um, and so, but I, I think here's the challenge. Here, here's, here's the challenge for us as Christians is, how do we step into these issues, Jerome, wielding a scalpel, Mm-hmm. but not a knife, mm-hmm. if, if, that, if, that, if that makes sense. No, um, it, it does. So uh, both of them going to hurt you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Both, of them, both of them are going to be uncomfortable. Both of them are, are going to be um, you know, instruments of pain, but one is going to bring healing and the other way is going to bring destruction. Right. So I I think as Christians and as as people of color, we got to step into this thing uh, going, hey, we got to talk about this. And what I'm about to say, you may not like you may even leave my church. You, You may even blast me on social media. But I'm fine with that. But the long view is, I think, reconciliation. But, but you can't have cheap reconciliation. Mm-hmm. You, you know, there's gotta be pain here. And so in moments like these, I gotta think of Ephesians 6, 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? So yes, whiteness has been a satanic instrument in the history of America. I, I, I attach it to principalities and powers to bring about great destruction. Here's the line though, white people are not my enemy. So that's why, that's why I love what the brother in Central Park said on the post interview, where you know, he was like, should she be fired? Is she a racist? He's like, look, I'm not gonna go that far. What she did was racist, but I'm, I'm not gonna be quick to label her as something and y'all need to stop with the death threats, right? Um, and so I don't want to go cancel culture on people. I want to go, how do we bring about healing in the midst of all this, if that makes sense?
0: Yeah, I think the you know, I, I love that quote, you know, our, our friend, God rest his soul, Darren Patrick said in the message, you know, God is a surgeon, not a butcher. Um, right. So he, he will cut you, but he does cut to heal. And that's yep. the posture But it seems like, Brian, not many white evangelicals are willing to even stay at the table. Absolutely. They leave leave the conversation. Um, They they don't stick around. They label us liberal. They question our theology. And even though we have countless situations, there's always this pushback. And so I think, and I'm at this point to where, you know, I'm not asking for a seat at the table. I'm going to, like you said, I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to deal with this. But what, what, does, right. what does true advocacy and allies look like?
1: i yeah, so I'm asking uh, you, like,
0: what, what, what does it look like for us to, to, to not, because, you know, as a black man, I'm refusing to be the safe Negro or a whitewashed Negro. I'm not gonna be that guy. Right. Um, and, and white evangelicals right. shouldn't ask me to. But the reality is some black people will fit that bill. Um, Because they think that that's somehow how we achieve assimilation. But I know this, you know, this reconciliation is impossible without confrontation. This is even connected to the gospel. Jesus confronts your sin and to reconcile. He's done But you got. You must acknowledge that. And by grace and through faith, you're reconciled to him. So something must be confronted in order for reconciliation to be achieved. So yeah, we... so,
1: yeah, it's um, uh, Ibram Kendi, um, oh, you know, if you haven't yeah. read his book, Stamped from the Beginning, mm-hmm. uh, or his most recent uh, book, uh, African American Scholar, um, you know, I think he got this line from Tim Wise, uh, but, the, but w- one of the things he says is, the opposite of, um, of not being racist mm-hmm. is not not being racist, right? So in other words, it's not a passive thing where people go, I'm not racist, I haven't done anything. He actually says the opposite of not being racist is to be anti-racist. Anti-racist, yeah. And so it's not just, it's not just good enough to be a Twitter warrior or social media warrior. It's not just good enough to go to a multi-ethnic church or to actually read books um, about it. It's what are you actually doing to confront issues of injustice in our society, right? Mm -hmm. I think think that's the posture we have to have. Um, The other thing though, that we have to be careful of, Jerome, with issues of advocacy is, it's almost like, I get the impression from some of our white brothers and sisters, they rush in times like these to go, what can I do, what can I do, what can I do? Almost as a hand sanitizer for their conscience. Mm. I'm saying before we rush to that sit with us almost like Job's friends the first seven days when they just sat with him in the ashes can you just sit with me can you just hear my laments can you just receive some of the hard things that I want to say because you need to hear my heart and you got to be in this thing with me before you're so quick to rush and do Um, because if you just rush to do without really understanding, now it's almost like we have a messiah complex and now we're getting into issues of patriarchy that, that patriarchy without peers, you're actually entrenching the problem That's where true. I'm here to show up and solve and help and do for you. And, I, and I'm saying, no, sit with me first you know, maybe we need to look at what it looks like to have a relationship, walk in community with one another. Um, Those things first. And then we can get over to issues of advocacy. How can we actually, and that's where I think things like um, uh, adopting, things like actually joining minority led churches and sitting Mm -hmm. under their leadership is Mm -hmm. huge. Anything you can do to, to kind of distribute the power you naturally have and to sit under or prop other people of color up into positions of power and then follow their leadership. I think these are some uh, ways that you can actually advocate on behalf of, uh, of people of
0: color. No, thank, thank you for that, uh, Brian. I mean, that's, that's, that's profound and it helps. You know, I'm, I'm hoping this is, hopefully this will be helpful as we, you know, we process and then helping others to, uh, to understand. If if they want to, you know, if if they really want to understand, because the one of the things, that I want to um, talk about the Central Park situation, is is just a whole the theological hole to where in every other situation, it's understood that the, you cannot legislate the heart, except when it comes to a white officer in a blue suit with a black gun pointed at a brown man, then somehow police brutality isn't a thing. It, it isn't a thing, you know? And so all these smoke screens, black on black crime, abortion, fatherlessness, all the smoke screens are thrown up, but I'm like, no, hold on. If you believe in total depravity, then it can take on any form. And like I said, it can take on the form of a white man in a blue uniform with a black gun pointed at a brown man who's unarmed. Right, and somehow, just well, you know, the the law, what well, the the heart can't be legislated, and so just because he's a law enforcement officer, his sinful nature right. can li- uh, cause him to abuse, right, and use fatal force, as we just saw that happened with George Floyd. Right, that's right. Yeah. Um. So the you know other thing, and I want to respect your time, is the, you know the Central Park incident where this woman, and, you know, I, and I just want to put it out there because I, I want to unpack this with you. My thoughts, man, was she, she just showed you that you can weaponize whiteness. That's right. And what I mean by that is she knew, I'm, go- I'm, I'm going to prophesy to you, Black man, because you're telling me to follow the law and put a leash on my dog. I'm going to show you your place. I'm going to call. I'm going to say you're an African-American. I won't use the N-word because I'm on camera. I don't know her heart, but I'll call you an African-American. Then I'll change the tone of my voice. I'm going to say you're threatening me because I know. She knows. And so whiteness can be weaponized. Right. And I, I just said, like, we, we we have it here, what she's she's doing. And again, I, I do pray for her soul. But again, reconciliation is impossible. We need to confront her lies. That was, a, that was diabolical. Right. And it could have cost a man his life.
1: Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I think the other thing, it's a simple point, but I don't think we talk about it enough. So in that moment, not only is she not only she's saying he's not just a man, but he's an African-American man. She's also signaling I'm white, right? And, and I think she does so. See, this is, this, is, um, this is a scathing indictment on our culture. So he's not just a man, African-American man. I'm also announcing in the process that I'm white. And she understands by doing so, that's going to add a sense of urgency.
0: Mm. Yes. So she's
1: playing into all that, right? And I, I don't think these subtleties are really talked about enough. And so, you know, I, you know, once again, and someone should compile a list. I'm sure they have. I mean, you got African Americans sleeping in a in a um, in a common area at Yale. They, they got they get the cops called on them. Botham John is having ice cream on his sofa in his own apartment. He ends up dying. This brother is birdwatching. And you're just, you're just going, where are the safe spaces for us? And it just doesn't seem like there are any safe spaces for us. And, and you know, how many brothers do you know birdwatch?
0: Oh, no too many. <laughs> you
1: know, now, now don't hear me. I'm not questioning yeah. his, his blackness. Yeah, you're not
0: questioning his blackness. I know, yeah. But he's watching. You know what I'm
1: saying? And he is calling her out on doing something she knew to be wrong. And this ends up happening to her. And what is her response? He's ruined my life. You know, I'm getting death threats. This has cost me my job. Well, at least you still have your life. Cause the flip side is we lose ours quite frequently. So, you know, this is um it's extremely disheartening. The other thing, you know, the famous Malcolm X quote, he said, Everything below Canada is the South. <laughs> and his point, Malcolm X's mm-hmm. point was don't don't drink the Kool-Aid and think it's just bad below the Mason-Dixon line. Um, below the Mason-Dixon line does not have a monopoly on racism. Mm-hmm. If I could update the language today, racism is not quarantined, right? It's everywhere. So these past stories, New York City, Central Park, Minneapolis, so you've got Midwest, you've got Northeast, all of these things right in the middle of it all. So. Um, yeah it it was devastating
0: yeah so to your last question, man, is where are we safe um how do you how would you counsel us where it seems like our safety is contingent upon the comfort of the white people that are in our proximity? How do you respond to that
1: you know it's look um you know, I, I, I spent the last four years in California, which is supposed to be a, in the Bay Area, which, which is supposed to be a bastion of, um, of, of progressives. Um, so there's, there's the line between idealism and reality, right? And you can be as ideal as you want and believe the best in other people, but there is reality and we've got to walk in wisdom. Um, mm-hmm. Man, on cool Bay Area mornings, I might, I might have my sweatshirt on, but I don't put that hoodie over my head. I just, I just don't. Um, I hate that, but I'm a large black man. I don't, um, if, if, if there's a white person walking in the same direction, uh, a significant distance ahead of me, on my morning prayer walks. Here I am talking to Jesus, right? Um, I will do something intentionally to announce my presence. Walk a little heavier, you know, scuffle my feet. I don't want to startle anybody. There have been times, Jerome, where I've literally gone to the other side of the street. These are just practical things that I absolutely hate doing, but Man, as a matter of survival, I've got to do it. Now I've got three teenage boys. My two older ones are driving. And of course, what's the first driving lesson we give them? It's not, here's the gas, here's the brakes. Here's what you have to do, not if, but when you get pulled over. Hands visibly present. Um, Don't make any movement without announcing and asking for permission. Uh, Sir, can I go into the glove box to get my registration? Um, Don't get angry. These are things that I think we just, they're not ideal, but they're things that we have to do because I need my kids to come home safe to me, man. My wife needs me to come home safe. So I just have to implore walking in wisdom. Um, I I think that's where we're at as African-Americans.
0: And I just want to say, because people will see this, we're not acquiescing that statement isn't an acquiescent to white supremacy or white comfort. It's acknowledging the reality of the myriad of ways that sin plays out yep. because of white supremacy and racism. Right. We're not acquiescing saying that this is acceptable. We're saying that we, we recognize that, especially in America, that we have to acknowledge certain things, that the playing field is not as level as people want to think right especially socially right that socially the playing field is not level
1: not at all not at
0: all not at all thank you man thank you for just kind of processing man would you uh would you mind praying for us man just just praying for our country
1: thank you for being in the fight
0: thank you thanks
1: lord jesus um we we lament lord god over the persistent injustices in our nation especially lord god as it relates to issues of race and ethnicity god we're reminded of the words of paul when he said in your anger do not sin which means it is possible to be angry and to be righteous
0: mm-hmm.
1: so father god we do pray for godly righteous indignation mm-hmm. in the name of Jesus. We don't, we don't rush to a cheap kind of reconciliation. Lord, we, we lament these things. Uh, we, we get angry about these things. And we also pray, Lord God, uh, not for vengeance, because vengeance is yours. That's what the scriptures say. But we do pray for justice.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: God, you, you created George Floyd in your image, and we pray, Lord God, um, that these individuals who put their knee on his neck and killed him and, and just sat by as he was pleading for his life, we pray that they would come to justice, Lord Jesus. But we pray the same thing, Lord God, for those who took the life of Ahmaud Arbery, Lord God. We pray for justice in the name of Jesus, Lord God. But Lord God, as, as we are on this long walk, um, God, may, we, may, may our hearts be protected from bitterness. May our hearts be protected from cynicism, Lord God. Mm-hmm. Somehow, some way, Lord God, may we, may we love. We pray for an army of white advocates, Lord God, who would stand up and fight with us as we fight for us, Lord God, not just in the womb, but after we are here, Lord. Yes, yes. God, we pray that, Lord God. So so, so may we be more than Twitter or Instagram or Facebook warriors, but may we actually, as my grandmama used to say, put some shoe leather to this thing and, and be, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, drum majors for justice in the name of Jesus. We ask all these things,
0: amen. Amen, amen. Dr. Laris, thank you so much. I appreciate your wisdom. I appreciate your voice on matters like this. And uh, thank you. This was helpful.
1: Thank you, man. Appreciate you.
0: All right, man.